From Moby.co, this is the Flagship Pod, a weekly live podcast about the stock market, the economy, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time, you know, an economy that just really wants to be in bull season, it seems. we got some really encouraging inflation data to begin the week, but then some kind of strange information from Jerome Powell and the Fed. We stopped raising rates this week, but we are going to continue raising rates two more times throughout this year and we are not going to reduce the federal runs funds rate for like an entire year at least until the end of 2024 audience and instead of the markets freaking out about you know being in this punishing interest rate environment for the next 18 months uh the dow responded by going up over 400 points and staying there so a really bizarre situation as we have basically announced we're going to be in a really punishing environment for a while but we're just gonna you know keep the bull season going so wild stuff here in the market just try to understand to help me unpack that of course audience as always i'm joined by justin kramer ceo co-founder and chief analyst here at moby.co justin man what is happening how can you even play a game like this like i do not understand why the markets are still up and we are pricing in like rates increases to stay until the next presidential administration basically yeah no it's pretty nuts right now because the s p you know is headed for its best week since march and that's coming on the heels of a Fed announcement that honestly wasn't anticipated. So going into this week, uh, the inflation numbers were huge. Fed announcement was going to be huge, one of the biggest weeks in the market this year. And inflation came out. And when you exclude energy and food, it was actually pretty good. Um, but when you include energy, uh, it was a little bit more variable than most people thought. But long story short, kind of reiterated the fact that we thought and the market thought that the Fed would pause. And Wednesday came along and they did pause. They said, we're not going to raise this week. We want to see more inflation data come out, how it affects unemployment and a handful of other measures they're looking at. Um, And that was all expected. But what came next was the surprise. And that was the fact that they said they're anticipating at least two more rate hikes um, from now until the end of the year. And then furthermore, are not planning on decreasing the rates really anytime soon, maybe for the next few years. So if you were waiting, a home buyer waiting to buy a, a house with a cheaper mortgage, that potentially isn't, you know, years from now. Um, but long story short, aside from that, from a market perspective, uh, the markets quickly sold off very quickly. I think the Dow dropped two to 300 points, but recovered pretty quickly. I think the markets digested what happened. Um, and kind of the, the sentiment coming out of the markets right now is that they don't really care. The, the economy has been really strong. They don't necessarily believe the Fed. Uh, a lot of the banks have come out and said, you know, I don't care what the Fed is saying. Like, there's not going to be two more hikes. They're going to be cutting sooner than anticipated. And a lot of this sentiment is coming from the fact that if you look at the Fed, it's, it's pretty split. They've done surveys from each Fed chairman across the country Some want to cut, some want to keep raising. They're all over the place. So when Jerome Powell comes out and says this, investors know that what's going on behind the scenes isn't really a mark of confidence or a degree of decisiveness. Um, So they're just saying, hey, we're seeing what's going on in the economy. We're seeing where the markets are headed. um, And we think rates are going to be decreased faster than they're letting on. So I think a huge portion is the markets just not believing what they're saying. The economy has been strong. Earnings have, you know, been resilient. We're getting a huge push with AI right now. Tech's rebounding. And I think a lot of the market is just so forward-looking and ready to put capital to work um, that they're just discounting and trying to ignore a lot of negative news. You know, it sounds like any sort of black swan event. So 
you know, valuations have jumped up significantly because earnings haven't really been reflected in a higher earnings base thus far. Um, and while some companies have definitely gone tailwinds, a lot more companies, you know, I wouldn't say we're at, you know, pre-pandemics to mid-pandemic level valuations, but things have jumped up and, you know, a lot of stocks that were cheap are, are not cheap anymore. So it's uh, it's been a crazy, you know, six months to start the year. And it's just one of those things, too. Audience, if you're really trying to make sense of this, I think one thing the market is betting on that they're not necessarily letting on that they're betting on right now is the simple fact that the ECB is also raising rates. So the Fed paused, but the European Central Bank just pumped rates by 25 basis points literally the day after, and they strongly signaled they're going to raise rates again in July. And one thing that's been kind of like compressing valuations for the past year is how fast the Fed has been raising rates has also conversely made the dollar super strong and when the dollar is strong any company that's in the S&P 500 any big company in the Nasdaq and a whole bucket of companies in the Dow Jones they have international revenue that's coming back to their American base and is being that revenue is being devalued because of the strong dollar so the ECB is one of the best places to sort of like understand the relative strength of the dollar there's also a lot happening over in the Japanese yen I'm not going to get into every single forex thing because all that forex nonsense will genuinely make you insane if you have to track it so granularly but the high level thing here is the euro is going to get stronger the dollar is going to weaken compared to the euro and hopefully that can allow the dollar to weaken overall so that international revenue forex pressure stops being a weight on companies like microsoft who lost you know upwards of 10 percent of potential value from their revenue to forex pressures so a really exciting moment and i think that's what the market's really betting on like finally the dollar's going to weaken a little bit i don't care about rates if i'm going to get like 10 percent of my revenue from all of my big bets back so if i was going to be a betting person i'd say that's the pressure the market's really thinking about right now but as we get through this at the same time it's just i think the market also just is just like it's going to manufacture wins out of thin air i think this is a market desperate for bull sentiment and since the market is ultimately a thing made out of people people are just going to make stuff up as evidenced by this justin kava yesterday did an ipo and went up 112 percent like their ipo is supposed to be rated at 19 dollars. the stock is now in the upper 40s what is going on like are we looking at chipotle right now or is kava being overvalued because the market is just so desperate for a win here yeah, it's, it's interesting because the IPO market's obviously been dead for a long time now. You know, usually IPOs are a big point of enthusiasm in the market. New stocks come to, to market. A lot of investors are really excited to get involved. But over the last year or so, you know, people just haven't been investing in them because there hasn't been any IPOs. So this is one of the bigger ones that hit the market. And I think this was a testing ground for a lot of people sitting on the sidelines, both investors and companies. To see how market would how the market would react, and so Kava, which is very similar, they're calling the Mediterranean Chipotle, went public yesterday, and it was a very successful IPO. It doubled in price from its listing price um, and got a five billion dollar valuation for a company that's only doing about five hundred million in revenue. So we're rounding here, but it's around a nine to ten x revenue multiple, which for a food chain is ridiculously high. You know, a lot of like software companies aren't even getting multiples like that. But the thinking is you look at Chipotle, Chipotle has been one of the biggest success stories like in the market, in the IPO market over the last five to 10 years. The stock has been absolutely crushing. Lifetime, it's up, <clears throat> excuse me, Lifetime, it's like, it's done apps, it's done very well in the last five years. It's up almost four or 500%. And it's sitting at a $56 billion valuation. So a lot of investors are looking at Chipotle, looking at Kava, and they're seeing 
you know, 11, 12x upside if they can hit Chipotle-like levels. So we're not suggesting that is going to happen. It definitely can happen, but that's why the valuation has been so out of control. Um, and I think what's coming next is that it allows a lot of other um, people sitting on the sidelines, you know, a lot of CEOs are going to be calling their investment bankers next and saying, hey, this IPO went really successfully. Should we be going public? And I think a lot of companies that have been sitting on the sidelines, um, like Stripe, um, you know, uh, there's there's a handful of others that are, you know, maybe potentially going to start thinking about going public now. And if they do, we'll start seeing it probably six, you know, nine months from now. It takes a few quarters to get this up and running. Um, but that could, you know, be a huge sentiment within itself, a ton of companies coming into the fold. If there's enthusiasm, that valuations will be higher. You know, it just puts the market in a good place to grind higher and and stay confident as long as like the economy doesn't get slashed on the other side. But do we really live in a world like in a single day, Kava is now worth more than Wendy's is. Wendy's with, you know, complete internet, like full national penetration. Kava is now with like... Not even 10% of the number of stores Wendy's has. Kava's now worth more than Wendy's. Does that, like, make sense? Is it just, like, a margins game at the end of the day? Or how how can this kind of happen in a restaurant space like this? Like, Kava's now over $5 billion, whereas Wendy's has been just scraping the upper into $4 billion for a long time now. Yeah, it's crazy, because if you think about, like, to draw an interesting analogy, Snowflake, that was a stock that was, like, ridiculously valued at, like, 50 to 60 times revenue, and it was because they were growing like crazy. And every investor at the time didn't care about valuations and what were norms. They just saw a great growth opportunity. We're fine paying up for it because they knew or thought that five, six years down the road, they'll grow into that valuation and hit the numbers that they're, that they're anticipated to. And that's when, that's when we saw a lot of financials get thrown out of the window over the last you know several years as investors were willing to pay up, debt was cheap. And now over the last year or two, there's been a huge reckoning of focusing on profitability. And now we're starting to see potentially the pendulum swing back the other way. And so people are looking at Kava like it can be the next Chipotle or some huge growth play. And they're looking at Wendy's as a legacy company that upside is limited. I'm not saying it's right. It's If anything, it's kind of ridiculous, especially in a market that has over the last year or so valued growth, profitability, all the strong metrics that investors have, have historically looked at. And you look at Kava and they haven't made a profit ever. Um, so it's, you know, it's a little uncalled for. I understand where it's coming from, but I think it does give us confidence that the rest of the market can grind higher if investors are just going to look be this forward looking. It's just funny, you know, how short term their memory is, is nuts. Two years ago, growth at all costs doesn't matter. Last year or two, there's a reckoning and now it seems like it's starting to go back the other way. And all this focus on profitability and how important it was, you know, maybe isn't as important as a lot of investors claimed it was. And that's really what we're looking at right now, because we're just seeing a lot of really heavy buy pressure in this market. And this is kind of kind of serve as a transition as we try to understand sort of the international markets as well. Uh, Justin, the analyst team Slack channel just kind of blew up a little bit because uh, we set a very aggressive price target for Tesla back in April, um, and they just hit it. Like we are, we're now fifty percent up since we reinitiated our coverage in Tesla. Uh, our price target was two sixty, and it's hovering at two sixty right now. So is this again like being overbought, or is Tesla finally becoming kind of relevant again as they sort of like march their way back to a trillion dollar valuation the way they had in twenty twenty one? Yeah, Tesla is in a very interesting position because they've they've just been ridiculed their entire life, and then they get 
you know, they get accepted, they're ostracized, and they're back in the fold. But they keep doing the right things and grinding higher. So even though over the last year or two, EVs have gotten crushed because there's a question about scalability. Is it actually better for the environment? You know, Tesla has gone ahead and their playbook is years ahead of everyone else. Um, they've been doing price cuts. Yes, it hurts their margins, but their goal is to bring a pr- cheaper automobile to the end user so that EV adoption can scale. Um, and now there's a huge push uh, for these partnerships with legacy institutions to help them get into their supercharger network, which is what they've been building over the last five, 10 years, which is charging stations across the country. Um, and so Tesla has been on an absolute surge. I think they haven't had a down day in almost two weeks. Um, and the stock this year is up over 140%. So you look back, you know, it's not even that long ago. You look back in like January of 2023, the stock bottoms out around $100 and now it's two to 300% higher. Like the the short-term view of the market and how quickly they can forget the year past is crazy because Tesla had been riding down since end of 2021, early 2022, and then bottoms out, like I said, in uh, end of 2022, early 2023. So about like a full year. And now it's just grinding higher as the growth story resumes. So as we've been saying for a while now, we're, we're definitely cautious. We're, we are participating in the rally, but I wouldn't, you know, throw all the chips on the table and say like, you know, this is going to be, continue to be one of the best years. You know, there's still a lot of potential like we talk about every week potential for there to be some sort of reckoning across the corner if the fed really sticks true and isn't decreasing rates anytime soon or the economy falls off a cliff you know we're looking at a very different situation but i think a lot of investors even still are are looking at this and saying you know even if the economy does fall off a cliff that will then force the fed to lower rates or the economy stays strong so there people are are definitely looking at this as like a glass glass have class half full type scenario. It's one of those things where this is one of those completely insane moments in history where like the exact right kind of technology comes along at the exact right kind of moment. And what I'm talking about is sort of the back end AI advancements we've seen specifically in big tech. We're seeing how AI can advance, not necessarily like getting rid of human labor, but just simply amplifying machine labor. We've been talking about this trend for a while now, but what's happening is like AI is making Facebook's algorithm that much more powerful. Same thing with Google, a little bit with Uber as well. And there's even like potential for it to kind of trickle down to any kind of company with any sort of like digital penetration. Like next week, we're going to be doing a whole report on the trade desk and how AI is potentially going to make all their algorithms so much better and therefore they can profit way more. And it's one of those things where we simultaneously needed, you know, better profits, but, you know, uh, also we needed to have less costs up front. And AI is kind of supercharging that kind of like supercharging productivity at a moment where everything's super expensive. So we can kind of stomach this higher rate environment where every sort of aspect of working a business is more expensive, but we're simultaneously making more money on top of it. So a really weird moment where this is just kind of magically working out. Of course, we that remains to be seen. We need to see a lot more data from AI developments. Is this just a head fake that Meta, Uber, and like um, the trade desk are pushing? Like, are they just saying it for PR reasons? Or is this like an actual real sea change in technology? To get back to Tesla, though, it's what we're seeing is just smart strategy. Tesla is making it so they get paid no matter what, right? Opening the supercharger network to Ford and GM is just smart business. They pay into this infrastructure and their rivals benefit and they benefit from even their rivals winning. It's pretty smart. The thing that we're really curious about, though, as we kind of 
look and move forward is they're only really reducing prices, not because they're trying to make EVs more accessible. It's just they know the build of their vehicles means that if somebody who actually plays in the luxury space, like a Ferrari, like a Porsche, comes in and really starts aggressively pushing EVs, which both of those companies say they're going to do, they're going to lose their luxury position real quick. So this is just Tesla positioning itself to go to war with the true enemy, and that's Ford. It always has been, it always will be. So I'm really excited to see how that plays out. But this gets into kind of like us still talking about global markets, because the other aspect here, Justin, is a potential massive expansion Tesla is trying to do in Shanghai, where they're going to really blow up the size of their factory if they negotiate well with the Chinese government, which seems to be going well, like Elon Musk was just over there now. Bill Gates is over there, and China is now doing some pretty strong stimulus moves. The European government and the U.S. government are slowing down. China is speeding up. So, just wondering how you're thinking how all this development plays out. Is, is China sort of like driving itself off a cliff by going in the opposite direction everyone else is? Or is this one of those situations where it's pretty smart considering how slow things have been in China for the past two years? I mean, China's in a very interesting position. Just even like the government and the economy, like outside of anything like specific, they have a 25% unemployment rate. So just like deviating this question for a second, like we've talked about this before, just more like the macro view on China. 25% of the country is unemployed, which is awful. Um, they're they're constantly decreasing. So they have a negative like growth rate in terms of more people are dying than are being born. Um, and they're continuing to isolate themselves with like their kind of economic policy. So, you know, long term, obviously, there's a lot of talk about China becoming a superpower. They already are a superpower. But they're just diminishing themselves in a point where, like, they're not going to be able to replace the old population. People don't have jobs. I'm not saying there's going to be a revolution tomorrow, but it's not good over there. So when you look at Tesla, you look at a lot of other companies that are expanding over there. Yes, it's a huge market. There's a ton of consumers, and it's not going away anytime soon. But when you look at the long-term stability of China, um, and even Russia for that matter, and obviously we have a little bit of a bias standpoint because, you know, we live in America. I think that they're not really in a good position uh, to set themselves up for success. And if anything, companies like Tesla uh, and other people who are playing in China, if anything, I think will have more market share as there's a ton of consumers there. The economy is not doing nearly as well as the U.S. economy. And it'll just give more more of a room for Tesla and other like uh, players to, to go over there and expand in the economy as like they don't necessarily have it done domestically. So. I don't know, I think China's in a in a very interesting position and di very different than you're going to hear mostly on the news talk about it. And I think it's a really good thing to keep in mind, just like how comparatively strong the U.S. economy is compared to its major rivals. I think the biggest surprise we're going to have in, you know, this period of U.S. history is how much people expected the Joe Biden presidency to kind of like not succeed and how comparatively well it has done given the expectations people had. Like there's a very strong possibility that he has an easy time getting reelected, especially if the Fed is right and we don't have any, we actually hit the soft landing. Like it's going to be genuinely hilarious if we, you and me are talking this exact same time, June 2024, there hasn't been any kind of recession. GDP growth had just, just keeps going up and we yeah. just survive this insane period of interest I mean, he's going to be, listen, this is not, has nothing to do with my political views, whether I'm a Democrat or a Republican, it's just, we're seeing the facts and we re, like react. We try and be bipartisan in our news, and I don't care who wins from an investing standpoint because we're here to make as much money as possible. That is the point of investing. So having said all that, like I just don't see how Biden doesn't win, um, and then subsequently what sectors then are affected by it. Biden, it, it, say what you want about the guy. 
But if you look at the Republican side of the candidacy, you have in the primaries, uh, you have to be extremely radical to win because that's who shows up for voting in primaries um, or just a little bit, not necessarily radical, but just right of center. Um, the people who are right of center are Trump, DeSantis, folks like that. And you have Nikki Haley and people who are more towards the center. And so Trump, I mean, even if he were to go to jail, uh, his followers, they don't care. And they think everything that against him is some sort of farce or it's fake news or, or something. They're going to vote for him regardless. Um, and they'll probably vote for him even if he's in jail. So I don't see how he doesn't take the Republican nominee, even if he gets like, you know, past this indictment, actually gets convicted. Uh, but past that, like, again, he just can't win in the general election. Too many people hate him. Independence, historically, for the last several elections, have decided the outcome of the election. They are, are going to vote Democrat. And so say what you want about Biden, but there's just no way that we don't think he wins. Uh, having said that, the end of his presidency is going to be 86, which is extremely scary and comes with its own risks. Um, but I just, again, from a completely unbiased viewpoint, I, we just don't see how he doesn't retake the retake the the White House uh, and the Oval Office. So that's what we're anticipating. Um, and then subsequently, just continue to hopefully the economy be strong. Again, say what you want about the guy, but the economy has been strong, whether it's due to him or due to elsewhere. Uh, it has been you know relatively strong in the face of increasing inflation, um, and they've done a decent job. So we're just continuing to look at that and and try and invest accordingly. Again, we. You know, taking the 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 personal side out of it, how I feel about him, Trump, all the others, you know, purely from an investing standpoint, this is how we need to react. And that's that's the thing. Yeah, that's the most important thing to always keep in mind. Like no matter who's president, there's always money to be made. And that's how you that's kind of why we have a business model in the first place, because it's always about just sort of adapting how you think about investing. Like we've had a lot of success in the in the Brandon era, right, of investing in big tech, green tech specifically, and companies who are catching, you know, um, a lot of the updrafts from the Inflation Reduction Act and sort of like predicting how that's going to play out as you look at policy. And, you know, you can't necessarily super bet on that sort of stuff, but you can build of a five-year long tail view it's not like we're going to divest from anything because these four-year cycles kind of work out then like in a period where investing is depressed if you just kind of hold your way through it the party structure flips and you know you get back to that period of relative strength for the other side of that equation so that's why you play the long-term investing game because on a 10-year time scale you kind of always win and it's just a matter of sort of building out your portfolio and consistently investing so again our, our politics are uh, we're just following the numbers but you're kind of exactly right it has nothing to do with opinion it's simply that the republican republicans kind of overreach on the culture war stuff because it's hard to build a right-wing consensus outside of like the trump cult of personality right uh they lean too hard into that and now it basically means they'll never win in a swing state ever again based on the structural disadvantages they set themselves up especially with the dobbs decision back last year that's why we saw in the midterms uh, a, a historic like non victory in the house for the gop they should have 2010 to that like the the absolutely insane thing to think about is how little the democrats lost in 2022 compared to how much they lost in 2010 with how insanely popular barack obama was you had the ludicrous warp speed popularity of barack obama in 2008 to 2010 compared to everyone hated joe biden from the from the drop like joe biden gets into office we kind of almost immediately leave afghanistan and it's over for joe biden's approval rating however you feel about that i'm just i'm a guy looking at the numbers my politics are i'm really stupid so i'm just like looking at charts and seeing what everybody else thinks. 
Um, but it's amazing that that level of unpopularity has led to this kind of historic victory. And that's more the GOP just putting itself in a box where it can only lose rather than the Democrats doing anything to make themselves win, you know, politics aside. But looking at that, it's just as we sort of like get to the back half of this conversation here, like it's just a matter of finding these numbers and finding, you know, the market just kind of wants to win right now. And it's honestly wild us saying, OK, I'm going to be at 5% interest rates for the next 18 months. I'm going to buy Tesla stock. Let's go. <laughs> um, so as you look at this, Justin, as you look at your outlook, is there anything in particular we're going to keep watching as we keep thinking about where this economy is going? I know personally for me, everything comes down to exactly two weeks from yesterday. June 29th is when GDP data gets printed. And if we see GDP growth slow down even more, I'm going to stay concerned for a while. But if we see GDP growth notch up a little bit in Q1 2023, uh, I'm going to absolutely lose it in terms of it's, it's bull season, baby, right? Or is there anything else I should be watching? Watching. No, I think those are the big things. I mean, it, it's the same thing, not the same thing, but a, same, a lot of the same things that we've been talking about over the last few months, which is how the economy is growing, the unemployment rate, inflation, interest rates, Fed policy. I mean, those are the big things because those are the important things. The world runs on cheap debt. So subsequently, the interest rates are really important. You know, the real estate markets are, are a multi-trillion dollar industry and really part of the American economy. So we talk about mortgages and we talk about commercial real estate all the time. They're, they're important things that move the market. So yes, those are the things we're watching out for the most. Past that on the, on like the big picture side, again, just looking at themes and nuances and understanding them. So are valuations in the tech sector like way too frothy now? I think the answer is yes. Um, you look at certain themes in AI, is it another bubble within itself to a certain extent? There's a lot of sub themes going on with within the broader economy that probably is just too in depth to talk about today. But there's a handful of things that we're watching for. We constantly try and do stock updates in our app, um, constantly sending out new ideas, notifications on a on a pretty daily basis. So, you know, we just keep recommending to follow us. If you have questions, you disagree. Good. Let us know and we can talk it through. You know, we're, we're just here to help you guys. Exactly. And this week, audience, you know, make sure you watch our app. Keep in mind, we're going to be talking a lot about tech. There's a lot of very like niche tech that is just absolutely exploding right now, regardless of sort of the AI revolution. And also there's we're, we're finally getting a lot more confident about retail. So we're going to be giving you a new retail pick as well as we think about exactly where sort of the mid tier of specialty retail is going to go now that, you know, the market is a little bit worried about consumer credit. Still, there may be a consumer credit crunch coming, but it's kind of hard to see now with the amount of confidence we see in the market. I think the number one thing you have to ask yourself is how much debt can this economy take? That's the number one question we have never really known. Remember, this. we feel like the market's been this way, air quotes, forever, but this sort of like neoliberal version of capitalism has only really existed for about 80 years. And so we don't have enough data to see just how much debt we can shove into this system to keep it moving, right? So the main question is how long can consumer spending kind of keep up? Retail spending actually went up this week again, despite the fact that, you know, credit card debt is at an all-time high and non-sort of mortgage debt is also at an all-time high and continues to getting higher. So the main question is always going to be how much of that debt can we actually stomach, especially with like student loan repayments, you know, kind of beginning again later this year. A lot of really interesting questions we're going to have to answer as an economy moving forward. But the most important thing to realize is nobody really knows the answer. We are 
finding out live in real time just how much debt we can shove into this system without, you know, things breaking down. And, you know, I, for one, am excited to see how that all plays out. The market at large feels pretty bullish about this sort of thing, especially on the tech side of the equation. But now we're excited to see how that bull sentiment is going to start trickling down into the medium to small cap space as we see growth. You know, everyone's really believing in the growth side of this equation. So I, for one, super excited to see how this develops. It's going to be an absolutely wild time in the market maybe boring in terms of like how stocks actually move but a very interesting time in terms of if you're actually curious about how this giant machine that is the u.s economy works you're gonna get a lot of really interesting data over the next three to six months as the economy really digests how much debt is in the system regardless justin you know we did we went a little over time on this any final thoughts from you man again as always i'm amazed we took half an hour for this one but just a really interesting moment in the economy and i can't wait to see where we take this thing from here yeah, I think we, you know, covered a good amount of it. Like I said, we we covered valuations, the markets, the economy, you know, Tesla, EVs. We didn't talk about nearly as AI as much as we have before, but I think the IPO market is something really to watch watch for going forward um, to see what's going on. You know, our company's going to go public. Do they feel good about valuations? It'll just speak a lot to the health of the markets. Um, past that, I think a lot of things we also, you know, that we have talked about that we didn't talk about today, the stuff relating to healthcare. Uh, as it relates to a lot of the stocks we're following, um, whether it be for, you know, companies with COVID-related vaccines, uh, a lot of like medicine now around like losing weight and diabetes, There, there's a lot of advancements going on in healthcare. You know, a lot of it's noise, but a lot of it is legitimate science uh, that we try and cover as much as possible. Um, so it's, it's really interesting to just kind of cover uh, outside of the investment side of it, which is obviously important, but just from your overall health and how it'll change your personal life. There's a, a lot of advancements going on there. So again, definitely check out the app. We, we try and update you guys as much as we can there. Absolutely. And when we think about IPOs too, audience, stay tuned for us next week as I'm going to gush about the one IPO I was the most excited for in 2023 that almost certainly has just completely shot itself in the foot. Uh, spoiler alert, it's Reddit. Um, they could have had a good IPO this year, but I think they just really ruined it trying to get an AI slice of the pie. Uh, really unfortunate, but we'll talk more about that next week. But stay tuned on our app as well as we give you some really good indications in terms of how AI trickles down to sort of the logistical side of tech, as well as the advertising side of the equation as well, as sort of like the Facebook method kind of expands to the wider internet and even into TV. So really exciting times here in the economy. We're finally talking about developments again instead of just like waiting out the clock on inflation. So I'm just really excited to see the market is fully digested Suggested our current inflationary period and we're really seeing consistent winners and losers be generated otherwise folks i really appreciate your time that's a solid place to end it so just so you know audience this podcast was produced hosted and voiced by me peter star all of the intellectual value from moby.co and from this podcast comes from our analyst team which is headed up by justin kramer ceo co-founder and chief analyst here at moby.co if you have any questions for us you can always email us at hello moby.co otherwise check us out over at app.moby.co get a 14-day trial see how we're doing in terms of like our long-term perspective and sort of the algorithmic portfolios we're putting together as well as sort of like how we're picking our way through the winners and losers of this particular moment. Regardless, audience, I really appreciate your time. That's a good place to end it. So as always, we'd like to leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.